Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast. Dr. McVeary is my guest today, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell me a little bit about what he does, first and foremost. So, my name's Kevin McVeary. I'm a professor of urology at SIU School of Medicine. Down uh, there in Springfield, da- Illinois. Down in Springfield, absolutely. Hometown, well, not hometown, resting place of Abraham Lincoln. That's right. And Homer Simpson. Great presidential library, if you ever have the chance to get down there. It's, the it's most a- visited presidential library in yeah. the country. So first of all, I want to introduce the concept of a guideline because today's discussion is going to be about what patients should take away from this new American Urological Association practice guideline that just came out um, in regards to BPH. So if you don't mind just refreshing us on what a guideline is. So a guideline is basically a collection, a distillation of a collection of, of articles, science, evidence in this case for over 10 years, on a particular disease entity, or in this case BPH, which is a urination problem that occurs in men as they age, we kind of distilled the entire entire data set, tried to propose questions that are important for urologists in treating men with lower urinary tract symptoms. We call that LUTs. And try to find answers or suggestions or guidance on what's the best way to approach different problems with BPH. In this case, it was a focus on the surgical options and some of the diagnostic, you know, the workup options available to urologists and and therefore available to patients as it pertains to BPH. This guideline is, as you said, specific to the surgical management of lower urinary tract symptoms caused by BPH. So that is a mouthful. Can you kind of distill that down as to kind of what that means? So as men age, really starting at about age 35, a, a small portion of the prostate, which is we call an accessory sexual organ between the bladder and the penis, it begins to grow. It's kind of a dormant organ for a lot of reasons. But at around age 35, this thing kind of renews. A small component of the prostate begins to grow, a certain zone of the prostate called the transition zone. It starts to grow again. Um, it has been quiescent. It's been silent, dormant since puberty. But then it wakes up again, and it starts to grow progressively. As it grows, it begins to compress the urinary outflow tract, in a sense, build up pressure in the bladder. And what happens is, as men age, they notice their urination symptoms begin to change. Mm-hmm. They start getting up at night. They they can't empty the bladder completely. When they get the urge to go, they got to rush to the bathroom. They don't get it completely empty when they go. So their urine will start, stop, start, stop. These are all attributes of BPH when it gets big enough to crimp off the tube, the urine tube. And it's very common. I mean, most men are going to have it. About a third of the men are going to need something done, not necessarily surgery, medicine, Mm -hmm. some alteration. So in a third of men, it gets bad enough they got to do something. So it's a pretty common problem. Sure. And what is the essence of this guideline? What has kind of changed, if anything, since this new guideline has come out? Yeah, so what's happened in the last, well, the last guideline was 10 years ago. So in 10 years, what's changed? Well, we've developed a lot of new technologies. And 
technologies which are safer, friendlier, fewer side effects, and probably going to be better accepted by patients. These technologies have specific targets. They have specific patients, types of patients, that they seem to work with. Okay. They work for, I should say. And because of that, the evaluation that we recommended for for doctors to do, urologists to do on patients, mm -hmm. um, those had to change because it wasn't one size fits all anymore. It wasn't like we had one procedure. Now we have a, a plethora of procedures which have like slots, slots that they work and slots that they don't work. And so the guidelines had to adjust for that. Basically, we have better ways of assessing patients to determine what kind of technology may best work for them. And, and, and that required reversing 20 years of previous guidelines. But that's t technology changed and, and we adapted. Also, not just the evaluation, but we also tried to put the per in perspective these newer technologies, like when to think about them, when not to use mm -hmm. them, what do you need to use them effectively, and maybe what should you be telling patients about how they may impact them in terms of side effects yeah. and durability. Got it. So is there anything in regards to this new guideline that a patient with BPH might want to ask their doctor about or question? Well, you know, the guideline is, is directed to doctors, right? It's mm -hmm. about doctor behavior, doctor practice, suggestions for doctors to do. Behind that is our patient. I mean, you know, driving that is our patient. So in a sense, yeah, like everything in the guideline pertains to the evaluation of a patient. Okay. And um, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't want patients, I mean, I think it would be inappropriate to patients read the guideline and go tell the urologist what they want. I mean, exactly. it's not a yeah. a la carte menu. Exactly. But um, these changes in technology have direct impact on patients. And my approach, I mean, my suggestion to a patient is to ask the doctors about their doctor about those options. There's so many options mm -hmm. about what options are available besides maybe the one that they went in thinking of. Yeah. And and it would be up to the urologist really to shuffle through those mm -hmm. technologies to try and figure out what might be the best therapy based on patients' sense of bother, their motivations, their aversion to side effects. You know, yeah. all these is kind of a formula. It's a discussion between patients and doctors and and the discussion's important. And the final thing I want to just reiterate before we close up this close out this talk is this particular guideline that we're discussing today pertains only to the patient that it's already been assessed that they do need surgical intervention for their BPH issue. Sometimes BPH doesn't need to be treated through surgery. So this specific guideline that we're discussing today has to do with the patient that has it's already been decided that surgery is the option that they're going to go with, right? Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, you wouldn't, because a patient walked in the door with some urination symptoms, you wouldn't necessarily say, okay, let's talk about surgery. You know, I mean, that would be a little hasty. Um, so what generally happens is a patient is given um, lifestyle, behavior changes to see what are they doing in their life that could be impacting their symptoms. Perhaps the next move then would be, well, Maybe we could try some medication. We mm -hmm. tried the behavior stuff. Didn't work. Let's try some medication. Patient comes back. Maybe the medications are causing a side effect. Maybe the medications aren't 
improving it enough. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the patient just has bother from taking pills. Some patients don't like the reminder every day of taking a pill. Okay. I mean, that's legitimate. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, then you're probably leaving medication behind. That's when you would turn to this guideline to say, okay, maybe I'm patient needs something more. It might be an intervention. Let's use the guideline to pick the right one for him. Do you have any other final thoughts or anything else you want to tell us about before we wrap up this, this topic? So I'd say um, this is surgery. Uh, this guideline is about surgery. The day we finished surgery, the following day, we started the BPH guidelines for medicine. So now what we're going to do is review all the medical therapies for Lutz BPH and that planning on taking maybe another year and a half, two years to do that. So that'll be coming next. And um, this guideline is going to help that. And those medications are the things that, which actually patients would use more frequently. So the upcoming ones mm -hmm. might be things more impactful to the individual man on the street. Okay. Thanks so much for coming. All on right, today. Casey. Thanks for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, the official foundation of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org.